Well, good to see you all. I'm going to say it again. Go Royals. Come on, boo, really? Really? Hey, have you guys ever been in a conversation and at some point in the conversation you realize you have no idea what the person you're talking to is talking about? Yeah, we've all been there, right? Well, because I love the Royals and because I'm talking tonight, I couldn't resist showing a clip that I think illustrates this well. I think you might recognize this guy. What were you thinking when you stepped up there? Hey. I know exactly right now, I don't want to bring Sissy. And they call it the, the free child, you know? Nobody needs the ball, he got it to second bed. And that's my time, say. I got all four by all game, you know? I need to do something with the team right now. And that's what I got. He dropped me a slider, he leave a little up, and I hit him the front. Seven stolen bases for you guys. What kind of a weapon is that for this team? We got a lot of guys, you know? Like to run, and they don't know run, you know? Uh, that's why P do, that's why I have to say, that's why P do. They, they get on base, they try to get a second, and go, yeah, you have to bring in. You ready for more of this? As your hero, Salvador Perez. Legos! Legos! <laughs> you know, language. Language is one thing, right? But there are all sorts of things in life that get in the way of our relationships with each other. Things that, that create barriers, distance between us and them. I mean, think about for a second these things. Language, social status, expectations, gender, religion, insecurities, money, personality. You see, inevitably, in our relationships with others, these things become barriers. In some sense, they, they get in the way of our relationships with each other. If things get in the way of our relationships with people all the time, but what about our relationship with God? You see, our relationship with God is no different. There are barriers, things in the way of a relationship with Him, things in between us and God right now. What gets in the way for you? And what are the, the barriers for you? That, become, that come between you and God. You see, if you're like me at all, lots of things come to mind. And maybe the first thing that comes to mind, the most obvious thing that comes to mind is our sin. Sin, the Bible says, is our rebellion against God and His purposes for us. And it gets in the way, and it drives a wedge right down the middle of our relationship with Him. Uh, I've been thinking about my daughters uh, this afternoon. They, they really enjoy the warm weather, uh, you know, this, this kind of warmer weather we've had the last few days. And, and they're three and 18 months, and they love to play outside. And so we've been going out in our front yard, playing in the driveway. They've got these cute little cars that they like to scoot around in. And um, the only problem with that is that we have a, a road right in front of our house. And so the rule is, hey, if we're playing in the driveway, you can't cross this line because I don't want them to go into the street. Well, like any little kid, they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I turn my back and they bolt, right? 
They think that it's funny that they're running away from daddy, and yet daddy is frustrated. Uh, yeah, I just call myself daddy. Uh, it's my dream to call myself daddy in front of all of you. I get frustrated because I care about them. I care about my little girls. I love them. I want to protect them. You know, I know what's best for them, so I try to prevent them from running out into the street. You see, when they don't listen to me, it's frustrating because I know what's best for them. Where our disobedience with God is a lot like that in that our sin frustrates God's mission in the world to be a blessing. You see, we have a good Father in heaven who knows what's best for us, who delights to give us all that we need. But instead we say, nah, I'm going to do me. I don't need that. I know better. You see, our sin gets in the way of our relationship with God because when we sin, we're really just saying that we know better than God. And so our sin becomes a barrier that stands between us and God. That's something that we have an active role in. But there are other things that become barriers between us and God that we don't always have as much control over little at all, really. Take, for instance, death. Right? The story of the Bible tells us that the most tragic thing, the most tragic consequence of sin is that death has entered into the world. You see, everyone in this room will die someday. Have you ever stopped to think just for a second, maybe for a while, how unnatural death is? It makes us uncomfortable. That's why we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. We don't like to imagine what's going to be on our headstone someday. Because we don't want to think about it. Death is a terrible tragedy. And yet God never intended for us to die. You see, we were created to live with God, our good king, in perfect relationship forever. No pain. No death. But that's not our experience anymore. We're all going to die. But death isn't the only barrier that we can't control that stands in the way of us and God. The Bible tells us that there are dark forces in the world right now working against us. And the Bible also tells us that the leader of these dark forces is Satan. That's why in the New Testament, Peter one of Jesus' closest friends, he's talking about Satan, and he describes Satan as prowling around like a lion in the world, looking for someone to devour. You see, Satan, darkness, dark forces, actively trying to prevent good for our lives. These dark forces and powers, they're hoping. They're trying, they're working as hard as they can to get in the way of us and God. They want to be the very barrier, the very wedge between us and a relationship with God. Sin, death, dark power, Satan, all these things get in the way. They form barriers. They inhibit this relationship that God has created us to be in with him. I don't know if you know this, uh, but there is a growing heroin epidemic right now amongst middle, upper class people in the United States. I was watching 
uh, news, news clip the other day, and it's, it's terrible. It's devastatingly sad, the effects that heroin is having on communities all over the United States. And we, we tend to think, you know, heroin, that's, that's kind of a junkie, that's kind of a trashy drug, right? Well, the reality is that it seems to be booming in ages of people just like us. Take, for instance, this, this guy right here. He was the star football player of his high school football team. He had an injury, had to have a soldier, shoulder surgery. And as a result, his doctor prescribed Vicodin for the pain. The problem was that the Vicodin eventually ran out and it was too expensive to buy more. And so what someone told him is, hey, you can get heroin actually a lot cheaper. And heroin, as it turns out, does a lot of the same things that Vicodin does. And so pretty soon, this star football player is a heroin addict. In and out of rehab, four times, I think. And on the day that he got out, that fourth time, he's lying in his bed that night, and he can't resist the urge to use. That was the last time he ever used. He died that night. Take, for instance, this girl right here. She was the captain of her golf team, basketball player for high school. She, too, looking for something to do. Friends thought it would be fun. Let's try heroin. In and out of rehab, she died. Another story. Started off just smoking a little bit of weed. That got boring. Then she jumped to pills. Let's do something else. Let's try heroin. Within a year, she was dead. You see, these, these people couldn't overcome the barrier of addiction that stood between them and a drug-free life. And in some sense, their imprisonment was chosen, right? I mean, they made the choice to do those drugs, and yet they couldn't escape that addiction. And in the end, it cost them everything. It's sad. It's devastating. You see, but here's the deal. Our situation spiritually is a lot like that. You see, we might not recognize it right now or in the moment, but the things that get in the way of us in a relationship with God aren't just there. They are. But they're also a very real threat to our well-being and to that very relationship that God wants to have with us. See, most of you in this room, you're, you're in your late teens, early 20s, so you're, you're not thinking about death. You're not thinking about the end of life. You're thinking about the endless amount of opportunities that lie ahead of you in life. And sin, well, yeah, we sin, but that's because that's kind of what college is all about. Like, this is our time to have fun. Because someday, we're going to be done with college, and we're going to go into the real life, and then we'll have to settle down. But will we? You see, the Bible is not shy about the fact that there are barriers in this world that stand between us and God. Things that get in the way of a relationship with Him. And the Jews of the Bible, they knew this too. You see, they knew that there were very real barriers for them. Very real things that stood in the way of their relationship with God. And so as we read the story of the Bible, we realize that they long for a king. They long for a king to come. This semester we've been walking through God's story. 
And in fact, the entire Old Testament anticipates the coming of this great king. A king who would rule his kingdom in a way that would shatter all of the barriers that stood between them and God. A king who would fulfill God's purpose of bringing blessing to the world. See, the Gospel of John captures this Jewish expectation of a coming king well. Jesus, in a conversation with a woman of Samaria, says this. The woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. You see, that word Messiah and that word Christ, they're both ways of saying the same thing. King. And so this woman is in a conversation with Jesus and she says, I know a king is coming. And what does Jesus say to her? He says this, he says, I who speak to you am he. You see, Jesus, the great king, the one whom the entire Old Testament anticipated was finally here. He's finally here. That's why he says in Mark 1.15, at the beginning of his ministry, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe in the gospel. You see, the king is here. Jesus had come at last to rule his kingdom, to break down those barriers that stand between God and his people. So the question becomes, how is Jesus going to do it? You see, the Jews had long expected this great king, right? But the problem was that Jesus wasn't the kind of king that they expected. He wasn't the kind of king that they anticipated. No, you see, the Jews of Jesus' day had longed for a completely different kind of king. They wanted a political king. One that would come in glory, in majesty, in victory, to break the barriers of Roman imperialism. They wanted a, a militarized king that would liberate them from the grip of the oppressive Romans. But Jesus wasn't that kind of king. Jesus wanted to do something far more profound than defeat Rome. No, Jesus came to tear down the barriers of sin and death and darkness. The very barriers that stand between God and his people. You see, but Jesus' way of defeating these barriers, breaking these barriers down between he and his people was so unexpected. It was so unexpected that Jesus' victory actually looked to a lot of people like defeat. Pick up the story in Mark 15. And the soldiers led Jesus away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes. And they led him out to crucify him. You see, these soldiers mock King Jesus because to them, Jesus is no king at all. At least not the kind of king they want or the kind of king that they think they need. 
And now Jesus, this supposed king of the Jews, he finds himself carrying a heavy wooden cross to the place where he would ultimately die. The story continues, Mark 15. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. This is a king? This is what Jesus' victory looks like? Jesus isn't triumphing in glory like we thought he would? No, Jesus is exhausted. And he's weak. Because the physical and the emotional pain of being rejected and beaten for the last however long had taken its toll. Jesus can't even carry his own cross. And they bring Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what he should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. You see, it's hard for us in 2015 to fully comprehend just how horrifying that crucifixion really was. But crucifixion was so brutal. Those being crucified, nailed to a cross, suffered so greatly that by law, only the worst of criminals could be punished in this way. In fact, crucifixion was so brutal that Roman citizens were exempt from the punishment regardless of their crimes. But here's King Jesus, nailed to a cross, naked, humiliated, in excruciating pain, bleeding, suffering, dying, and all the while he's being mocked. Jesus saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from that cross so that we may see and believe. See, Jesus came to rule as the great King, to break down those barriers that stand in the way of us and God. But how could dying a miserable, cursed, Lonely death, break anything but his own body. How ridiculous the Jews must have thought. God saved others, but he can't even save himself. He can't even come down from that cross. How foolish. How stupid. And yet the story of the Bible tells us that this was God's plan all along. You see, all the way back in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we read his prophecy. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, to those who are unable to recognize Jesus for the great king that he is, the cross is always going to seem foolish. It's always going to seem stupid. But through Jesus' death, 
The Bible tells us that we receive his life. You see, that message, that very message in Jesus' death, we receive his life is foolishness to our world. And yet it's the very wisdom of God. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, this idea that worshiping a crucified Jesus was so ridiculous, so stupid, so foolish, that people were actually doing graffiti on walls, mocking him. Here's an image inscribed somewhere in Rome on a wall. You can't really read that or see that well, so here's a kind of better rendered version of it. And if you look, you see what appears to be a man, Jesus, with a donkey for a head. And next to him is, is a man, a boy, somebody. And it seems like he's worshiping Jesus. And, and that inscription, it says, Alexonimus, his name worships God. How silly. This guy is worshiping a crucified man. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. See, our culture too tells us that when we worship a guy who says that his very victory is his own death, well, our culture tells us that we're just a bunch of dumb asses. See what I did there? But that's what, that, that's, what that's all about. Right? We're told that, that following Jesus, you're told that following Jesus is weak. That it's naive. That, that Jesus doesn't work in the real world. And so how could you possibly be so stupid to worship him? See, I... I know that there are a lot of people in this room. I know some of you. I've talked to you. Some of you in this room right now who have been mocked by your professors, your classmates, for your very belief in who Jesus is. That's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. The Bible is full of errors. It's intellectually untenable. How could you possibly listen to that stuff? That's what they say. I know that there are others of you right now in this room who are being pressured by your parents and maybe other family members to take jobs because of the money, because of the opportunity, because of the prestige that it brings you, because those things are, well, that's the good life, right? And so we consider those things over considering what God is calling us to. I know for a fact that there are some of you in this room right now who are the constant butt of a joke. You're constantly mocked, made fun of because you refuse to have sex outside of marriage. What? You, you don't have sex? We all have sex. Everyone has sex. You're not going to have sex before you get married? You're supposed to have sex so that you know you can get married. How can you not have sex with the person you're going to marry? That's stupid. At least that's what they say. See, to the entire Roman world, there wasn't, there wasn't a worse 
punishment than crucifixion. And so those who didn't recognize Jesus for the king that he actually was, to them, his death is nothing more than, well, just punishment for a really bad criminal. Jesus wasn't a king. He hadn't come like they expected him to come. He hadn't broken down the barriers that they wanted that king to break down. But to the early church, to the early followers of Jesus, you see, they saw Jesus' death, they saw the cross, they saw the crucifixion in a completely different light. You see, to them, to the early church, the brutality of the cross, though horrific in nature, was actually one of the mightiest acts God had ever accomplished. You see, rather than defeat, Jesus' death was a resounding victory over the barriers that stand between us and God. What's that sin in your life that you feel like keeps you from God? What's that thing right now going on in your life that feels like a barrier to your relationship with Jesus? Is it is it the meal that you've been throwing up? What about the pills you've been taking? Maybe the porn addiction that you've been trying to hide from your roommates. See, the Bible tells us that the penalty of our sin is death, separation from God. And yet on the cross, Jesus bore all of our separation. You see, Jesus was hanging there, dying, and he cries out to his heavenly Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus experienced the ultimate separation from God so that you and I, so that our sin would never again separate us from him. See, Jesus' death, it's a victory because on the cross, Jesus died the death that you and I deserve so that we could have the life that he deserved. Do you ever feel like Satan is constantly accusing you? Like someone is constantly whispering lies in your ear? You don't belong here. You look terrible. This isn't the group for you. You're not good enough to be here. You're never going to fit in with these people. You're crazy. You see, on the cross, Jesus takes all of those accusations. The accusations of the entire world, Jesus takes them upon himself, and he uses Satan's very own weapon, death. He uses death to deliver a defeating blow once and for all. You see, Jesus, the great king, he did, in fact, come to tear down the barriers of sin and death darkness in the world, the very barriers, barriers that separate us 
from God. Just think about that. What are those things right now keeping you from God? What's that thing that makes you feel so much shame, so much guilt? What is it? You see, on the cross, Jesus shatters every barrier, everything that keeps us from God and a relationship with him. Jesus takes that upon himself. I want to close tonight telling a, a quick story. It's a story of two guys. And it turns out that these guys are criminals. We don't know a lot about what they've done, but we do know that they're thieves. And for whatever reason, it's, it's a pretty bad thing that they've done. Because they've been sentenced and they're going to die. So these two thieves have been sentenced to death. And as it turns out, these two thieves are the two men hanging on a cross on each side of Jesus as he too is being crucified. And as it turns out, one of these men who was being crucified next to Jesus joins in with all of the surrounding people mocking Jesus. This isn't a king. This guy can't save himself. You're going to worship this guy? What a joke. What a joke. And yet feet away, on the other side of the cross, on the other side of Jesus, there's another man, another criminal, another thief. But he had a very different response. See, knowing his own guilt, knowing his own penalty, he was about to die. He turns and he says, no, you're foolish. You see, this is the king. Jesus is who he says he is. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you finally come into your kingdom. Jesus, between the two of them, he turns and he looks, and he says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, as the music team comes up, the question that every one of us is left with is who are we going to be? You see, are we going to be people that mock and call Jesus and those who follow him foolish, stupid, uneducated, ridiculous? Are we going to join with the chorus of people saying, how could you possibly worship a guy who was crucified on a cross? Or are we going to be like the other criminal who in that moment looked and saw who Jesus really was, saw the good king standing, being crucified right before him, saw the victory that the cross had brought. See, God wants a relationship with us. God wants a relationship with us so much that King Jesus came to die on a cross 
to break down the barriers of sin and death and darkness. The very barriers that stand between us and God, Jesus came to shatter those once and for all. Praise Jesus. Amen.